Alright, so tonight we are uh, continuing our study of the doctrine of salvation, and uh, we're going to talk tonight about the doctrine of justification. Uh, so uh, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 2. We'll look at a few passages of Scripture, but uh, that's a good place to start. Um, the uh, doctrine of justification is something that is talked about uh, mostly by Paul, although uh, Jesus talks about it as well. Um, justification, the doctrine of justification uh, was also pretty near to the heart of the uh, division between Catholics and Protestants at the time of the Reformation. Um, it was not a it was not the root. The root was even deeper than that. The root was um, whether Scripture alone is the final authority for our faith and practice. Um, but pretty near to the root was uh, the doctrine of justification by faith, uh, which the Catholic Church uh, rejected and which the Protestant Church uh, trumpeted and, uh, and delighted in and, and preached heartily. Um, because of that, uh, I was pleasantly uh, surprised and delighted by a quote I came across uh, not too long ago. I was reading a book on the doctrine of justification, and um, there was a whole chapter uh, that was uh, basically trying to show that many of the early church fathers and leaders and writers um, believed, um, if not in sort of the full-orbed doctrine of justification by faith, at least in the idea of um, this great exchange, right, that um, Christ takes our sin and we get his righteousness and forgiveness, and that happens not because of our works, but because of faith. And so anyway, there was this quote that was included in there by a guy named Jerome, and Jerome is famous for translating the Bible into Latin. So the Latin Vulgate, which was the authorized translation used by the Catholic Church for over a thousand years, I think, um, that translation was created by this man named Jerome. And uh, this very simple quote, but Jerome himself said, God justifies by faith alone. So there, there's somebody who the Catholic Church, you know, uh, he's one of their pillars. Um, but even he said uh, that God justifies by faith alone. When we talk about the doctrine of justification, uh, that's a big word we don't often use, so it's helpful to define it. Uh, what we mean by that is um, justification is God's declaration that a sinner is righteous. And that declaration occurs the moment a sinner believes. So it's a, it's a declaration. Um, often uh, scholars who are trying to be you know, very precise uh, will say that uh, justification is a, is a forensic term or a judicial term, right? It's, it's courtroom language. It's a verdict of not guilty. It's a verdict of righteous. It's a verdict of vindication. And so it's God declaring, like a judge, you know, banging the gavel, you're declared not guilty. Um, so it's a declaration that a sinner is righteous, and it occurs the moment a sinner believes, which means that justification happens virtually.
virtually simultaneously with conversion, right? When, we, when someone's converted, we talked about how that means it's our response to the gospel. We repent of our sin and we trust in Jesus. And the moment we trust in Jesus, God declares over us, you are no longer guilty despite all of your sin. You are no longer guilty. You are now righteous. And again, that happens by faith when we believe in Christ. Um, and it is because of Christ that God is able to make that declaration because Christ has taken our sin on the cross and he has lived a perfectly righteous life so that God can um, count our sin as his and his righteousness as ours. That's that great exchange that happens in justification. So Paul talks about this um, in uh, Galatians and Romans uh, at length. And uh, one of the clearest statements um, about the truth that we are justified by faith and not by works is in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. And um, in the, it's interesting, the context here is uh, where Peter has withdrawn from eating with the Gentiles at uh, Antioch. So he, for a time he was eating with the Gentiles, counting them as brothers, counting them as clean in Christ. And then some people uh, came from Jerusalem and uh, Peter apparently got nervous or there was some pressure on him or something. Um, and he withdrew uh, from eating with the Gentiles. And Paul got in his face about it and rebuked him and told him that his conduct, the way he was acting, was out of step with the gospel. And um, verse 16 appears to, um, if not continue the conversation that Paul started with Peter at that moment, uh, at least continue it for us to tell us more of why Paul said to Peter what he did, why he rebuked him the way that he did. And here's what he says in verse 16. He says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. So, Three different times he says it, right? Three different times in that one verse he says, we're justified by faith and not by works. We're justified by faith in Christ and not by trying to keep the law. And Paul's saying, that's true even of you and I, Peter. I mean, we're Jews, and yet even we Jews recognize that we can't be justified, we can't be made right with God by our attempts at obeying the law, by our uh, you know, attempts at performing good works. We know we can't be justified that way. We know the Gentiles are not justified that way. So if you and I are made right with God the same way by faith in Christ, why can't we sit at the same table? Why can't we go to the same church? Why can't we enjoy fellowship? What makes them unclean or unacceptable if what makes us both acceptable to God is not what we have done, but what Christ has done. Peter, it doesn't make any sense. So um, 
very clear there, right, that we are justified by faith in Christ and not by our works. And then uh, Paul uh, goes on to say um, in verse 21, uh, at the end of that chapter, after he's talked some more about the place of the law and, and whatnot, he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Right, so if we could be righteous with God, or before God, if we could be justified by the law, if that were even a possibility, then why in the world would Jesus die? You guys can figure this out on your own. You can, you can do this on your own, so either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it, and it's up to you. That would be the way that it would work. But it doesn't work that way because no one is capable of keeping the law. And so no one is capable of being justified by the law. And that's why Jesus had to die. So if we believe in Jesus and we are grateful for the cross and we are trusting in a crucified and risen Lord, then we ought to know better than to think that we can accomplish anything that will make us righteous. It doesn't work that way. Then he brings in Abraham in verse 6 of chapter 3. So now we're moving into chapter 3. And verse 6, he's reminding them of how it worked with them when they believed uh, and when they received the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So there he's quoting Genesis 15, 6. Right, this is that, uh, Paul quotes the same passage in uh, Romans chapter 4. James quotes this same passage in James chapter 2. It's a massively important verse. And um, apparently, uh, many of the Jews misunderstood it. And one of the reasons we know they misunderstood it is because in 1 Maccabees, which is not a book of the Bible, but is a Jewish book that's in the Old Testament Apocrypha, which would represent what a lot of Jews probably believed and probably instructed a lot of Jews who read it. In 1 Maccabees, it says, Was not Abraham found faithful when tested, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness? In other words, wasn't it... When Abraham obeyed God, when God tested him with the offering of Isaac, wasn't it true that he was found faithful when he was tested? And when he was tested, his obedience was, his faithfulness was reckoned to him as righteousness. So he was counted righteous by God because he obeyed. In other words, is what Maccabees is saying. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you, you've conflated the story. You've taken Genesis 15, where Abraham hasn't done anything significant yet, and you've taken Genesis 22, which is the, the climactic demonstration of his faith in obedience, which is what James is arguing in James 2. You've taken those two things and you've put them together as though the obedience is the reason he was counted righteous. But when he was counted righteous in chapter 15, he hadn't really done any significant obedient acts yet. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work. So he quotes Genesis 15, 6 and says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then he says basically the same thing as what happens for for everyone who believes. Verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, 
preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. That's one of the original promises God made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. He says, leave your kindred, leave your land, go to the place that I'll show you. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. I'm going to multiply your offspring and I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless those who bless you. and I'm going to curse those who curse you. And in you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. Paul says that what the scripture meant there is that God already knew that he was going to justify the nations, the Gentiles, by faith, just like he did Abraham. And that's how he was going to bless them through Abraham, namely through Jesus, who would come from Abraham's line, who would die on the cross and rise again so that we could be justified by faith. All that is all the way back there in Genesis chapter 12 in seed form, right? And now Paul is giving us the the full explanation of it in the New Testament. So um, very clear there, right? Very clear um, that we are justified by faith. Also very clear that this is not a new doctrine. This is the same way that God uh, counted Abraham righteous, is by faith in the Old Testament. So this is not new. This is the way God has been working from the beginning. One more passage I want us to look at is in Romans chapter 4. We spent a lot of time in Romans on Sunday mornings recently. We spent a lot of time in chapter 4. So I'm going to be pretty brief here, but just a, a, a thing or two I want uh, to remind us about uh, this doctrine of justification from Romans chapter 4. He brings in Abraham again in Romans 4 and verse 3. He says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So there's Genesis 15, 6 again. He says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So this is how justification works. It's not a wage. It's not something that you earn. It's a gift. It's grace. And it is given to those who... Who believe in God, who justifies the ungodly. And that little phrase, justifies the ungodly, is so important because so often um, people think that before they can be right with God, there's a list of things they've got to do. Well, I I want to be right with God, so I'm going to try for the next six six months to be at church every Sunday. You know, I'm going to try to read my Bible every once in a while and and pray a little bit, and then maybe at the end of that six months, I'll feel like, you know, I'm in a position where I can ask God to do something for me or something like that. That's not how it works. God justifies the ungodly. While you are yet a sinner, right, you turn to God in faith, and he says, right now, before you've done a thing, you are righteous because the righteousness I'm declaring is yours is not a righteousness you have performed. It is a righteousness Jesus has performed that I am giving to you because you don't have your own righteousness and couldn't manufacture your own righteousness if you tried. I want you to have mine. So he justifies the ungodly counts them righteous. And then he brings David in as well and says, just as David 
also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes Psalm 32, where David says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. What's interesting there is he doesn't say a word about righteousness or justification. Everything he says there is about forgiveness. What does that mean? It means that part of justification, part of being declared righteous, is having your sins forgiven. There's two sides of the same coin, right? Justification involves both both forgiveness of sin and uh, the gift of God's righteousness to us. All right, now one more passage I want us to look at. Uh, I mentioned earlier that um, Jesus talked about um, justification. And uh, there's one place where he talks about who it is who will be uh, justified. And so uh, I want us to look at that. And I didn't write down where it was. Um, and so I'm trying to find it. It's in, just give me just one minute. Um, yes, Luke 18. I was thinking Matthew 18 or Luke 18. It's in Luke 18, Luke 18, 9 to 14. It's a great parable, um, a powerful parable, and uh, it's helpful. I remember um, listening to somebody preach a sermon, uh, mainly from this passage, I think, Asking, addressing the question, is justification, is that just Paul's idea? You know, or did Jesus also speak about this as well? Um, and this is the passage he used to say, yes, Jesus does talk about justification as well. So verse 9 of Matthew 18, it says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Right, so that's, that's not too far off from part of what Paul is doing in the book of Romans when he preaches the doctrine of justification. Right? In Romans chapter 2, he says to the, the self-righteous, judgmental Jews, look, you think you're, oh, you're fine because you don't sin as loudly and overtly as the Gentiles and because you have the law, but guess what? You guys are just as guilty as them. You are lawbreakers as well. You too need to be justified. You too need the gift of God's righteousness. So that's what Jesus is aiming at too. And so verse 10, he says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So here's a man who's very satisfied with himself and what he perceives to be his position before God. Right When he comes to God in prayer, he says, God, I'm a pretty great guy, and I, I thank you for that, but I'm also going to remind you of all the great things that I do. Because right? I'm, you know, there's some other people, hint, hint, like this guy over here in the corner, who are not so hot. And I, man, I'm sure glad I'm not like him. Because I'm doing okay. But then, he, verse 13, he says, But the tax collector, who almost nobody would have liked, standing far off, 
would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So the tax collector knows he's a mess, knows he's a sinner, knows he has no hope without God's mercy. And I don't know about you, but I'd a whole lot rather hang out with that guy than the other one. I'd a whole lot rather... uh, you know, worship alongside somebody who knows they need mercy than somebody who thinks they don't. Um, And Jesus tells us this in verse 14. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, meaning the tax collector went home right with God, not the Pharisee. For, he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's not just uh, sort of a biblical principle that we might expect to find anywhere in the Bible. That is how the gospel works. If you want God to lift you up, if you want God to declare you righteous, to welcome you into his presence, to say, um, you know, enter into the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. If you want God to exalt you, you have to first humble yourself and recognize that you are desperately lost, that you're a sinner, that you're in need of grace, um, and, and call out to him like this tax collector did. If instead you try to exalt yourself and talk about how great you are and remind God how great you think you are, uh, you will end up being humbled at the end when you feel, figure out in the presence of God that you're not as great as you thought you were. All right, so Jesus also says, the one who is justified is not the one who is uh, doing an outwardly decent job at keeping the law, who's fasting and tithing and, you know, he's not unjust and he's not an adulterer and all this kind of stuff. No, the person who is justified is the one who's under no illusions about whether or not he's a sinner. He knows he's a sinner. He knows he needs mercy and he calls out to God and God justifies him. God declares him righteous, even though he is, as Paul said, ungodly. So um, we could spend, I mean, we could spend weeks on the doctrine of justification, but because we've already done that on Sunday mornings as we've been preaching through Romans, uh, I just wanted to sort of Bring, bring these you know, Galatians um, and uh, Romans, and we got to bring Luke in as well. Bring all those things together uh, to help us see um, how this doctrine works and how it's taught, um, and that it's not just something that belongs to Paul, but Jesus and even Moses. Uh, if you go back to Genesis with Abraham, uh, taught us that this is how God saves. This is how God uh, grants righteousness to 